famous last words. I'll, I'll hold on to that one. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, actually, no. So it's just it just came out in previews, so we haven't seen a lot of like usage of it where people are going, "Hey, I'm not I'm not sure exactly what's going on here." So um, so so we haven't seen a lot of confusion for it. We have seen a lot of requests for it, um, and so it came out in sort of a preview form. The API is still going to change, um, most likely. So we were we were very deliberate about the fact that hey, the API is going to change. You know, if you're creating extensions, know this, um, and so it's just starting to roll out now. Um, so I think it's going to, I don't think it's going to be uh, that much of an issue. I mean, we've debugged client server-side stuff and tools for a long time, so hopefully it'll be okay. Oh, yeah, I wasn't, I, I just sometimes I've heard people that are new developers. Yeah. Like, they, I've heard people say, like, they like that their server-side is in Ruby or whatever. Yep. Because it helps them cognitively. Yeah, 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 yeah. And no, so, that makes sense. And so with, like, that tight integration between the two, I, the first thought that came to my mind is, like, that could be amazing. And then, like, huh, I wonder if, like, new developers will be able to get that or whatever. That was all. Yeah, and, and it's interesting you say tight integration because really what we're trying to do is make it a, a loose integration, right? You can just choose to do the client-side debugging by installing well, that extension. And you, like, yes. you have to go through a couple of steps to set it up. The tool, like, when you press F5, it just won't configure itself to do all that stuff. So it, it's interesting. I, I, I like the term loose configuration because it, it applies to a lot of things that we're doing in the tool. And so all the different extensions and functionality that, that come in are really loosely integrated in there. And it does a couple things. Um, one, it helps us keep sort of the performance of the editor as an editor, right? Because we don't load, we load very little stuff on startup, right? And Yes, God bless you. <laughs> yeah, yeah extensions, everything are all sort of lazy loaded. Um, That's awesome. for these integrations, you have to go and make explicit actions like, okay, I want to add this thing and this thing and this thing yeah. and weave it together. By by tight in this case, I meant more like the loop rather yeah, than yeah 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 no 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 it's just when you, yeah, I understand when you it's supposed to be loose and and it, fluid it spurred that thought in my head. Okay, good. Well, and that that's interesting too because, um, I mean, I kind of, I don't know when I started programming seriously, I was using an IDE, and then I went and worked at another company and I got really into text editors, in particular um, Emacs. And I used Emacs for quite a long time, and I got pretty accustomed to just the speed and flexibility that I got from a text editor. And the IDEs, while they had nice visual tools and did some of the refactorings and things, um, it kind of gave me everything, whether I wanted it or not. And that's the thing that I like about Visual Studio Code, is it, it gives me a lot of the nice, clean integration stuff but it still has the editor, and I can just pick and choose what I want to add to it. Yeah, you can see what's going on behind behind it, right? It's yeah. it's, it's it's still your workflow. Yeah. Right? So if you want to do Mocha or you want to do whatever it is, you, you plug it in however you want, and we'll sort of that lightweight integration of all these, mm -hmm. sort of stitch them together rather than saying, hey, there's this one way of doing things, and that's the way you do it. Right. And uh, you know, for a lot of people, that, that, that works great, and there's a lot of people that would rather have a looser-coupled looser experience, which is what we're trying to provide with the tool. And to the effect of what you were saying earlier, Chuck, um, I've noticed, at least with Vim, if I start loading too many plugins, if I get a little crazy happy with all the auto loaders and stuff, Vim will slow down. I imagine Emacs is the same way. So yeah. it's about choosing your tools carefully and not trying to pile everything in there, no matter yeah. what editor it is. Yep, yep. Yeah, we lay every, all these extensions run out in a separate process, so if anything happens with them, that process goes down and we can spin it back up. We did recently um, uh, enable disabling extensions. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so instead of having, like, like, if you don't want the extension, you want to turn it off for a second, you would have to uninstall and then go install again. So you just click on disable and you do a quick restart. And so they all stay there. So you can, you, if you want to manage them that way, you can do that too. 
Yeah, yeah. So it's very cool because we found ourselves just sort of constantly sort of moving things around. I personally, for me, like the extensions loading doesn't make any difference for the performance of the tool. I just get like, it just doesn't look clean to me when I have like a whole bunch of extensions. I have to keep that list tight. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a, a yeah. personal thing. So I, I have a question for you. I'm going to change uh, tactic or topics a little bit. Uh, we did get to see that integrated shell uh, in the keynote and I, I I like it. I mean, it's something that I use fairly frequently with Emacs, mm -hmm. but you know, just to have it built in there, and then, yeah, you don't have to do a big context switch in order to get to your command line and stuff like that. The terminal is a big. It, it, it's an interesting story, right? Like, like it was one of the top requests um, in User Voice when we were using User Voice that we moved it over to to GitHub. Um, for the longest time, people wanted an integrated terminal, and we were kind of the, of the position that. You know, the, the tool is really geared to sort of become a part of your tool chain. So you're probably using iTerm, you're probably, you know, whatever thing. And we're like, why recreate the wheel that's already right next to right. the thing? Um, but the scenario that people kept coming up with is just like, look, I just want this, this quick access to something that's scoped right to my uh, workspace, my folder. Uh -huh. Over an iTerm, I've got some other stuff running, and I don't feel like having to go over there just for something quick. And so... After we sort of landed on what that scenario was, we, we um, introduced the terminal and, and like people just love it. Um, so it's nice for that because it's just it's completely scoped. You don't have to manage anything else, and you, you get in and you get out. Yeah, and then the uh, the other thing that you showed off in the keynote was the Docker integration stuff. Yeah, the Docker extension is that an extension? It is an extension. Yep, um, it's pretty. It's it's interesting. It adds about ten or fifteen commands. Um, it does uh, IntelliSense and snippets for Docker files, Docker Compose files. Of course, it generates Docker and Docker Compose files. One of the things we didn't get to see yesterday, um, uh, which we had to remove for time, was that it'll actually generate a debug version of the Docker Compose file. And so if you have a Node app, and you have to do is a Docker Compose up on the debug version, and it'll come up and it'll attach the debugger to it. So you can you know, as we saw in Visual Studio proper, you can attach the VS Code debugger to an instance running in a container as well on your local machine, which is pretty cool. I really wanted to show that, but I got <laughs> time cops came after me. <laughs> yeah, I guess they uh, have to keep those keynotes pretty tight, don't they? Yes, yes, and it's a lot of work to get, you know, a couple seconds here, a couple seconds there. Oh, yeah, I, I remember seeing some of the little tricks of... Somebody would say they're going to type something, and then suddenly it was just there. Like I didn't even see them copy it. Yeah, they pasted it. Yeah, I don't like those. The, I don't like the when, when they look too magical. Like I think you you spend the three seconds and do a copy paste, and people go, "Oh, that's real, right?" Because yeah. I want it to look real because it is real. <laughs> well, it was it's very real yesterday. <laughs> it's funny too because uh, I don't remember if it was something that you did or uh, James Montemagno or somebody else. But yeah, one of the demos afterwards, somebody was saying, "I'm I'm pretty good, but." It would have taken me three or four times as long to do whatever it was, and I'm like, I'm sure they practiced to get it down to the minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of a lot of dry runs, and I'm not very good at, at doing the dry run because it's all your friends sitting in front of you and everyone's judging. Yep. <laughs> Fix your shirt. <laughs> you didn't need to see the word say that word. The take it out, strike it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, a lot of practice went into it, and um, and actually we you know we reviewed it with. We did the demo for Satya and his his directs a few weeks back as well. So just going around and telling the story of open tooling development on Microsoft tools and 
and you know Azure. So it's a pretty it's a pretty fun story to tell. So um, yeah, that demo really originated from having this conversation with, with Satya and his his team. Cool. So is there integration for Azure as well, like Greg and like there is with Docker? So are there Azure extensions? Yeah, I mean. So yeah, so there's a there's a few things that we're we're starting to see. So one of the things that that you know we're there's not like this you know big button on the side of things just connect to Azure. Right? And we're actually, <laughs> you know, it's 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 again it's this loose coupling of experiences, right? And so a preferred model is that there is a set of extensions for Azure, um, and so what we're trying to do is encourage folks on the different Azure uh, teams, you know, for whatever functionality they have, to go and build, you know, an extension for that particular thing. So the, you know, the SQL guys are building one, um, and I think it's released, should be released, um, but it's 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 out there. So you know, we're starting to see these different extensions for Azure um, come out. And another thing that we introduced recently was this notion of what we call uh, an extension pack. So it's a collection of extensions. Uh -huh. So what we'll do when we kind of get a little bit more critical mass is create the Azure extension pack where you'll be able to go get the SQL stuff. There's an ARM template editor. Um, uh, somebody just released a, uh, um, an extension for the Azure CLI. So instead of having to go to the terminal and run it, like you basically go to the drop down and you say, I want to create a, a new resource group or a new website. And it'll give you the list of resource groups and you just pick that one and it'll just go and do it, which is pretty cool. So what we'll end up doing is having sort of this collection of extensions, which will let you do whatever it is that you want to do uh, with Azure and make that much much easier. Um, the Docker extension actually has a an interesting command in it. Um, the Azure CLI, the new Azure CLI that I demoed, you know, it ships like you can install it on your machine using curl or whatever, um, but it also ships as a Docker image. And so since you're in a Docker extension, there's a pretty good presumption that you've got Docker on your machine. Uh -huh. So uh, there's a command in there just to run the Azure CLI, and it'll do a, a pull on it. It'll start it up interactively, and you can just log in, and you start parting away uh, in that running image or instance, running container. Instance of that image running in a container. <laughs> so so <laughs> is this, I haven't seen that I don't think so. Is this is this like where it runs in like the terminal window, but is running yeah, the container? Yeah, it'll pop up in the terminal window. Okay, that's part of VS Code. It's part of the Docker extension, and it runs in, in the yes. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Extensions have have the ability to uh, create and then contribute into the terminal. Right. And so basically, it just spins it up, runs the Docker run dash it command on it, and it opens up in the Bash shell inside that that uh, container. I can see i got to clean up my language here. Integration is a dirty word. Extension is what we're talking about. Loosely coupled extensions. Loosely coupled <laughs> extensions, yes. Pardon, let me wash LCEs. my mouth out with chocolate real quick. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's, it's just um, we're all accustomed to, to extensions, I mean integration and all that stuff, and so uh, it's just a different twist on it. No, I understand. It's, 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 it's significant because comparing the past with the future you got to make that distinction clear. So yeah. let's pause for a moment to talk about our sponsor, Taurus. Taurus is a new tool for managing and securing the secret information that allows your app to run. You know the stuff, passwords, API keys, database credentials, all the stuff that gives access to the private stuff that you don't want anybody to touch except for your application in specific ways. Taurus provides a convenient way to store all this information in the cloud, and they can't access it because it's encrypted with material derived from your password, which is never transmitted to their server. 
So it's secured from them, from everybody else, but accessible to you. This means only the servers, development machines, and applications you've allowed can access the information. So make secrets management headaches a thing of the past and check out Taurus today. You can find them at devchat.tv slash Taurus. That's devchat.tv slash T-O-R-U-S. So one thing that I'm wondering about, because you mentioned that um, you've added some of these features to Visual Studio Code because people were asking for them. How do you decide what goes into Visual Studio Code and what needs to be an extension? That is an awesome question because it is so hard to make that decision of what you put in and what you sort of leave out. And there, there are things that we, um, well, let me back up a little bit. Most of the things that are in VS Code today are actually extensions but packaged up in the distribution. So, you know, the debugger for Node is an extension that we package up in the tool. Oh, so you get it for free. It comes when I download it, but it's yeah, an extension. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like for the, so we could have an editor that does, you know, very little right mm -hmm. out of the box, but there's not a lot of value right. with that. So what we decided to do in the tool is have an opinion on one workflow, one sort of vertical mm -hmm. uh, across the horizontal features of the tool, and that's the Node and JavaScript um, uh, opinion or workflow. So that's why those things ship in the tool. But there's lots of cool things that that um, that are out there as extensions. Like we should just put that in the tool, right? I can right click and open up a folder or something like that. So uh, there's a lot of debate. There's a lot of back and forth. They're like, is it really? Uh, you know, is there a lot of usage of it? Um, does it just seem to make sense? Uh, there's, there's a ton of different things that we go through. But beyond that, the sort of the internal debate that we have. Um, when we put together the roadmap every month, we put this backlog of things out there and people sort of can comment on it. So we get feedback from the community about what should go in and what should be done as an extension. So we try to take all this stuff and sort of boil it down um, and make, make the call. Uh, but there is no, it, it's, it's one of the, the most difficult conversations that we have. It's like, because you don't want to just pile a bunch of stuff in if nobody uses it, right? Mm -hmm. Which is the other thing we do is we, like look at telemetry data to see if it's getting used and if it's not, what's the point of putting yeah. it in? So, yeah, hard question, hard question to answer. The, the other question I have for you is uh, you, and, and it's related, you mentioned that you were using user voice and now you're using GitHub issues. Um, yeah, once they added the ability to vote to GitHub, that's oh, when okay. we decided to move over. Yeah. Yeah, I was curious about that. I was also wondering just, uh, yeah, how do you manage that? Because I can imagine you get a lot of GitHub issues yeah, from so, people using it. So there's there's two steps. One is moving away from user voice because the team is small, right? There's mm -hmm. like 20 people, I think, yep. worldwide. Um, and so managing all the incoming feeds of data is, is really, really hard. Um, so what we didn't want to do is load up the team with more people so that we could answer more questions, like you actually want to have a dialogue, right? So one of the reasons that we moved away from user voice was that it was just another input stream that we couldn't, we couldn't deal with that funnel of or information flowing at us from another place. So that's when we retired that, and then we went over to, um, to, to GitHub issues, and we, we dragged along, I think, the top 50 things uh -huh. that were in, in user voice, and then we asked people to sort of go, and if, if your favorite thing didn't make it over. And there's a lot of duplicates and user voice and all that stuff. So on the team's perspective, you know, man, they, they, we, I guess, but it's mostly they, uh, quite honestly. It, yeah, it's mostly they, <laughs> like, compared to what I do. Um, it's probably 50, 60% of every engineer's time is sort of bringing in and understanding what all these issues are. Oh, wow. 
yeah, we, we basically one guy a week, one guy or girl um, a week, or we'll be deemed the sort of, they call it the inbox tracker and just watches all the feed and then farms them out to the appropriate people to go and, you know, whatever they're, you know, the guy that works in the editor, uh, Alex. Um, so he'll get all those stuff and then he'll sort of, you know, work his way through it. <clears throat> so we factor all that amount of time in of, of working in the community and answering uh, GitHub issues with the amount of stuff that we put on the backlog every month as well. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a ton of work, but it's completely worth it, right? Yeah. It's development in the open, and we get so much good quality feedback on it, and bugs that we would never have found ourselves. Um, the ability to sort of iterate with somebody who's got the one machine that has the issue, and then, you know, we're able to fix it. So it's it's definitely worth it, but it's it's a lot of work. Yeah, I'll bet. You know, devs like to write code. That's <laughs> so true. Yeah. Yeah. So so uh, I'm just kind of trying to understand the process. So. Uh, somebody submits a GitHub issue. Yep. Uh, the community will vote it up or down and comment on it and yep. all that stuff. Your your uh, tracker, your GitHub issues tracker person gets in and says, "Hey, you're the right person to understand this. Track it down. Talk about it. Figure it out." Yeah, yeah. There's there's two things. Like like if you get somebody that submits a uh, a feature request that gets voted on. Um, you know, it's not like we probably won't sign that off to an engineer and go, hey, go do this. It'll sort of sit in the backlog. And then what we do every month when we kind of build out what we're going to do, we look at sort of what the, the top things are uh-huh. and decide whether or not, you know, we can take that on or if it's like a multi-month thing to do. Okay. So we're, we're slowly sort of chipping away uh-huh. at, at that. But also making a decision whether or not it should be an extension, should right. be in the product or not. Um, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of things that people want that are very IDE-ish, and so it's a hard... It's 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 a it's a very fine line to walk to make sure that you keep it to be this lightweight, loosely coupled editor instead of creating yet another IDE. Because why? I have another. So your tracker person is uh, routing bugs instead. Yeah, it's mostly bugs, right? And then the bigger, I mean, feature requests come in, and then they'll they'll get funneled off to the person. But the day to day bulk of work is just issues that come in. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So with the people that are looking for more of the IDE experience. What is it that? What's the friction that keeps them from using uh, Visual Studio proper? Uh, nothing. Actually, we see quite a bit of, of dual usage of uh, on Windows, right? So dual usage of Visual Studio and Visual Studio Code. Um, Scott Hansman talked about it a bit yesterday. It's, it's kind of like you need this quick and dirty thing, or you know, it's if you're if you're going to go do Node and JavaScript and stuff, it's it's clearly you know the, the best experience for that. Um, and now on the Mac with VS for Mac. Uh, did I have the name right? VS Mac, VS for Mac. Yeah, for Mac. <laughs> it's new. Um, and if they want an IDE and they're on the Mac, then now we have a, an option for them as well. So that's a nice balance to the family. So you know, we had VS and VS Code on Windows, and then it was only VS Code on the Mac and Linux. And now um, we've got the the partner to the big IDE. I shouldn't say big. The nice IDE uh, now on Mac. So you know, we have this complementary tool in both places for that. So. Microsoft is really heavy on the any dev, any language, any platform, any device yep. kind of thing. Um, and obviously, there's a lot of stuff that Microsoft does that hasn't worked that way because legacy. Um, so with Visual Studio versus Visual Studio Code, is Visual Studio going to make it in its, in its full glory to... Uh, Mac and Linux as well, like Visual Code has, do you think? Uh, the Visual Studio that we have on Windows today, like bringing that over to the Mac would be, it's impossible, right? There's, there's so many years of stuff 
in that. So what I think <clears throat> what we'll see is we'll see VS for Mac, which is you know it's, it's based on on Xamarin. That functionality and that will will increase. And then one of the things that we saw yesterday is it's a fluid um, uh, interchange of code between the Mac and Windows on, on in the Visual Studio for Mac and Visual Studio for Windows versions. <laughs> so a lot of different versions here to explain. So, uh, <laughs> well, there, well, there's three. You, you really have three products. Yes. VS Code is is a separate product that's exactly. like Sublime it, it, or, or or a Visual Vim or Emacs kind yep. of thing. Yep. And then VS for Mac is Xamarin, but trying to be built more towards what Visual Studio is, and Visual Studio is just the legacy Windows platform with all of the coolest latest features. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, legacy. I mean, it's going to continue to. Well, not to grow right. Le legacy in that it's it carries its legacy with it, which is why it isn't on the other platforms. Yes. I, that, yeah. I mean, that's that's a good way to describe it. And, and literally, it's it's like the, the code base. We couldn't. We could never move it. It would take us. I don't know how many millions of man years of work to go do it. So instead, we have this other tool that we can then go build up with the functionality and make sure that. Uh, between Windows and Mac, and there's a compatibility between your your source code and your solution, and everything sort of works the same in both sides. So yeah, I mean, it's just that the the Visual Studio Windows code base is what 2019. I forget when it when we created that. Um, came from Visual InterDev, <laughs> and then we moved things into it. So yeah. yeah, so yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in there, a lot of cool stuff, but. Uh, um, Visual Studio Code, since it's so fresh, doesn't have any of that that history to bring along. And uh, VS for Mac has a little bit of history to bring along, but not nearly as much. So I think we'll see them both evolve. And, and again, it's the compatibility between the two of them. And for things like like uh, VS Code, so if you want to do like .NET development in VS on Windows or VS Code on Windows or Mac or VS for Mac, it's all using, this is the really cool thing that all the tools are doing. Um, is we're using sort of the same backend language services for all this and debugger services. And so when you do .NET coding in VS Code, it uses the same Roslyn compiler and the same extension infrastructure. Well, it will eventually, right? Um, which is loosely coupled, it's out of process. And so all the tools will do the same thing, the same thing with debuggers. And so we basically have the one team that works on Roslyn can produce that extension effectively and it'll work in all three of these these tools. And so then you can still have your, your lightweight editor experience or you can have your IDE experience. And we'll see more and more stuff that we build and more and more things that are in Visual Studio today be you know extracted out to be you know running in their own process in sort of an extension model. And really following what we did with, with VS Code from the beginning, which is very cool. So lots of sharing there. So being the you're describing a position that sounds really unique in that you have this small team of 20 people that's over one product, and then you have this much larger product. And you mentioned earlier, like, if you wanted to to make changes, you don't know how many millions of man hours it would take to, to bring Visual Studio proper across the board. Um, so with that perspective of seeing these three different products that are at different scales, what, um, what, what takeaways do you have about uh, man hours improving project development like or number of people on a team or or d dividing and conquering to accomplish goals cuz i think it's really cool that you you have three products that are going towards compatibility and interoperability there 
Well, I think it's, I mean, it's, it's just really an evolution of, of the way that we're doing engineering. Like, you can't have three sets of, three teams that are all, you know, really, really big working on three different products. And so in order to support this family of tools, we have to get smarter about how we reuse and share code across all these things. And so moving them out means that we can have just one team that does Roslyn, and they're the experts, which is this, the C-sharp file you guys know. Um, and they're the experts at that, so we can leverage that across, you know, three different uh, three different products. So I think it's it's really just like you can't say okay, there's there's X number of engineers that are on Visual Studio and X number of engineers that are on uh, VS for Mac, right? It just happens to be that um, there's X number of engineers on Roslyn. There's X number of engineers on this debugger. There's, you know, like it's more like that. And then we just surface how they get get um, or we we can just figure out how we surface them in the different tools. And so, you know, the, the 20 people that are on VS Code, they're working on extensions, but they're also working on how we surface those things as well. So I think, you know, you, you end up seeing, if you could sort of look at the, the org chart of Visual Studio or the, the developer division, you'll see, you know, clusters of people moving around between, and they'll be less associated with one single product, but more associated with the thing or the extension or the, the service features. that they're providing. Oh, that's and interesting. And then there'll be a smaller group of people that have to work on the product, and their job will be to bring it in and in the IDE case, it'll be to sort of have that, you know, very tightly coupled, but end-to-end, -end, you can, what did Donovan say yesterday? Like, oh, he said a lot of great things gotta, yesterday. Yeah. It's Visual Studio, so I'm going to right-click until I find the answer, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, you, that's what that team will be doing. And, and um, so I think that's the way that we'll see that, that play out. So... If you do, you feel that that like the number of people that you have on the team is is the perfect number, or is it, you know, if you could throw in a dozen more people to do more things, would you do it, or is it great the uh, way that it is? Yeah, you know, it's 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 an interesting question, um, and I think if you ask different people on the team, um, you'll get different answers. I, this is my opinion, um, I feel like. Less people or smaller team is more um, effective for two reasons. One is, well, maybe it's the same reason, but here's why I think it's more, more effective. Because you have a smaller number of people on a team, you have to be more deliberate about the things that you're going to do, right? And so that means that there's just less stuff that's being put into the pile. And so you, you, you kind of go a little bit slower at it, but you add something and you add it really well and you can then measure it and make sure that it's effective. When you've got you know, a gigantic team, there's overhead that's involved with just managing a team and managing features and all this stuff that happens. Um, so I think for VS Code, I like the size of the team that we've got now. Um, is there more stuff that we could do? Sure, right? And there's, there's more stuff that, that are sort of peripheral to the, the, the product itself that we could go and we could put more people on. So I, that, that's my opinion. Is I, I feel like the, the size of the team is, is good. Um, I'm sure others on the team think, you know, if we had five more heads, there's five more things that we could go and, and do to it. And, and that's, that's true. We could go and, and add more stuff. Um, but I'm more of a, like a, let's just let's take smaller steps, you know, progressive, learn as we go and, and grow that way versus sort of piling everybody on and going, go figure it out. One thing that I, I'm going to change topics again a little bit, because uh, one thing that I've been wondering about a bit with uh, Visual Studio Code is you said that you kind of have the default experience that you want people to have, and that's around Node.js. 
Um, what does that experience actually look like? How do you envision the workflow that a developer is going to go through as they use Visual Studio Code to write Node.js code? Uh, yeah, I, I think this, it really is, is focused around two key things, which is um, code editing and then diagnostics, right, and debugging, right. And so, <clears throat> actually, I don't. We, I mean, we probably talked about this last time, but you know, the the JavaScript experience in VS Code is driven by TypeScript, a TypeScript compiler. And it's the Yay! Yeah. Right, right, AJ. That's awesome. Well, it, it gives us a ton of information, right? So yeah. Um, so no, I, I'm a fan of TypeScript. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's actually interesting, right? So our core opinionated workflow, a lot of that comes from the TypeScript team. They're not, they're not even on the VS Code team, but we work very, very closely with them. Um, and you know, one of the cool things that's, that's, that's starting to come out over the last month and this month and next month is this um, experience we call automatic type acquisition. And I, I demoed it in the Insiders build yesterday, but effectively for you know, whatever top 2,000 um, node frameworks out there, there are TypeScript definition files that exist. Mm -hmm. And the TypeScript compiler will look at your package.json and figure out, hey, is there a, a corresponding definition file that I could go pull down um, for you and, and cache it away, and then you just get this great editing experience on it, right? So, like, right out of the box, even though there is no box, um, what we really want you to do is, like, you open up your source code, doesn't matter what it is, you start typing, and you get this awesome... IntelliSense experience. Um, and then closely related to that is uh, navigation or understanding of the code across your workspace, right? So I show, show this thing, you hold down the command key, everything becomes a hyperlink, you click on it, you can navigate so you can understand the context of your, your entire workspace. So that's another big thing. And another thing that the TypeScript guys are, are really gonna focus on um, in the next couple of months is uh, like refactorings and, and code actions. So being able to sort of get light bulbs and just improve your code. So we really want to have this really rich uh, type script experience. We're working on um, mixed mode experiences. So if you've got HTML and JavaScript and CSS mixed together, those are a uh, rich experience. We had it like early on in the product. This is going back to sort of what's in the product and what's not. Right. Early on in the product, we basically, for like an HTML file, we had a language service that sort of understood JavaScript and CSS. And then we made it an extension, like the HTML experience is an extension in reality, and so we lost some of that functionality, so now we're building that back in. Um, so like I said, like, we want to have this great sort of end-to-end -end experience for that. And then, of course, there's the debugging experience, and one of the key drivers of the ability to do multiple target debugging was that if you're doing these sort of node back-end, HTML front-ends, to be able to use the, the Chrome or Edge extension and, and debug both of those. So we want to be able to have that rich experience. And then from there, there's a lot of sort of just loose coupling of experiences. Um, so if you're going to run, uh, you know, your Mocha test, right, we're going to start thinking about is there some way to have a lightweight integration of a test runner in the tool, but Mocha, whatever the greatest and latest test framework is for Node uh -huh. these days, it'll, it'll plug right in, but in a, in a loosely coupled way. And this other experience that we have is around tasks, so you can sort of, like we, we talked about it as loosely coupled, but you can sort of automate an experience end to end. Um, and of course with Docker being able to create microservices. So that, it's that sort of whole end-to-end -end experience which we're trying to, to go for. But it, 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 at the end of all of this, it's still an editor, right? There's no uh -huh. HTML designer or any of that stuff, and I, I never expect us to build an HTML, HTML designer for, for VS Code. Um, famous last words. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I said <laughs> famous last words. 
I'll, I'll hold on to that one. <laughs> um, but uh, but I mean that's really the way that I think I think you know a lot of the workflow that I, I showed yesterday, um, sort of starting from scratch, GitHub integration, diagnostics, editing. That's that's kind of the experience that we're going for. And then another thing too, which is interesting, but it goes back to the TypeScript guys is. You know, if you're using Angular or other sort of popular frameworks, having a great editing experience over that as well. So TypeScript guys work a lot with the Angular team, and so then all that stuff will surface up into VS Code through the language service, which is cool. Yeah, I know plenty of Angular folks that they write their Angular 2 in TypeScript in VS Code, yep. and they're just like, they're, uh, most of them say there's nothing like it. Yep. Yep. There, there's nothing else like it that does everything that I need. And I think that's a, it says a lot about what VS Code is and you know what what it's really capable of because I know just as many people who are using it to write stuff that has nothing to do with Angular or doesn't even come close to what Angular does. A lot of Markdown gets written in VS Code. Oh really? I'll tell you that. Yeah, it's the third most popular language I think that gets edited. Oh wow. Yeah, tons and tons and tons. In, in fact, a lot of the the folks that write documentation inside Microsoft, outside of this the developer division. Are all landing on, you know, VS Code with a couple of Markdown extensions to get, you know, whatever workflow that they want, which is pretty wild. So. That's crazy, and it's <laughs> it's it, I love getting those kinds of tidbits, right? Because yeah, yeah, I would have yeah. never thought to ask. Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 wild to see that. What what are people writing with VS Code? Uh, so by and far the the largest we're seeing is is known JavaScript development. Um, TypeScript is another huge one. Um, PHP, Python, Go are all big. Like Go is really, really another very, uh, like the best experience out there for Go seems mm -hmm. to be VS Code plus the Go extension. So we see a lot of that development that's going on there. Um, Python's another big one. Uh, that, that extension is really right out of the box. Open up, boom, you've got, it's, it's just like, you know, C Sharp or Node or something. Full IntelliSense, full diagnostics, it's pretty wild. Um, so we are definitely seeing sort of more of the, the sort of the webby style, cloud style applications um, being written in, in VS Code. I mean, we, we don't, we don't have like, like, we know what kind of things people are writing. We know what languages people mm -hmm. use, right? And so those are kind of the big ones that we see. Right. Let's take a break from this episode and really quickly talk about finding a job. You know, searching for a job can feel stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and the job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole, never to be seen again. And sometimes you go all the way through an interview process just to find out that the very end that the salary offer or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Well, there's a solution. Hired.com is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities. They make the job search faster, focused, and stress-free instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best. Hired puts you in control of how and when you connect with compelling opportunities. And after completing one simple application, top employers apply to you. And the best part is, is that you get money. That's right. They pay you if you get a job through them. Listeners to this show can earn double their normal hiring bonus by signing up with the show's link. That's right, you get $2,000 instead of $1,000. So go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jabber. I'm curious, too, um, one thing that I've seen over the last several years is that uh, with open source software or with particular products, the people who are making them and the people that are using them tend to have sometimes a slightly different view on what it is. 
And sometimes they have a vastly different view on what it is. And so I'm curious, do you have any sense of how the Visual Studio Code sees Visual Studio Code versus how the community views it and uses it? Or do you feel like they align very well? I feel like they do align pretty well. Um, it's an interesting question. I haven't thought about this. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know. I, I, I do think it, it, it aligns because um, we do all of our, I mean, we're very much open source users, right? I mean, there's right. hundreds and hundreds of packages that we use to build VS Code from Electron Framework all the way up up the stack. And, um, you know, the people that are participating out in GitHub and issues and stuff, they're all, a lot of those guys are, and girls are open source developers, so we're getting that feedback in. So it feels like it's 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 well aligned, if I understand the question correctly. <laughs> well, it sounds like it, and it sounds like you communicate a lot. It's usually that disconnect comes from a lack of communication. Yeah. And so, yeah, it sounds like you've mitigated a lot of the issues that can arise from that. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to it, it's hard to to do development in the open when you've done development in the in the closed, I guess. <laughs> uh, for however many yeah. you know, years people have done it, because you have, you have to say, all right, all these conversations that are having an email, nope, put it in an issue, talk about it out there. Like you have to sort of yeah. get into that mindset. Um, but once you do, the, the benefits that we reap from it are, are huge, right? For, on both sides of the fence, right? right? Like, like people can see what's coming and they can influence what's coming, and we get all sorts of great feedback. And we get all sorts of help from people, you know, submitting like pull requests. Do, I can't, I, th I think like every release that we do, what we try to do in the release notes at, at at the end of it is sort of do a shout out to everybody that made a uh, pull request that we were able to take in in the past uh, milestone. And there's got to be easily between 10, 20, 25 every single, every single month. Um, so yeah, we're getting a lot of people contributing back. So um, you're mentioning it's built on Electron. So are, are you guys using the electron build tools to build vs code to, to package to package it out uh so we use the electron shell um we don't build it we take the binaries but we can build it i forget to be honest with you yeah because I, oh, i'm just thinking because i believe electron solves the problem of if you need to get it in a dot app versus if you need to get it in a dot msi versus dot no, 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 no. Um, like for packaging, like like the app, like for NMSI, we use this thing called Inno Setup, I-N-N-O Setup. Uh -huh. um, I don't know what the tools are we use to build the app or the Linux packages. I, I don't think that they come So, okay. It. So you've got your own. Yeah. Well, Inno Setup is, in, that's in surprising because I thought Microsoft had their own tool, but you're using, because Inno Setup is third party kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, but it's super easy to create MSIs with that thing, so. And it's open source. So we <laughs> we tend to like try to look for the open source stuff uh, first, um, but yeah, we went to that a long time ago. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's built on that shell, but we do a lot of uh, you know we have a lot of automated scripts and, and all of our builds and stuff running in uh, Visual Studio Online um, internally, and then we publish them out. We have this actually pretty cool system that uh, that the guys created. We're basically every night, so we have this, these insider builds and we have the monthly, I call them stable releases. And every night, you know, there's an automated build that kicks kicked off and then you can just go into this web page and it's this very ceremonial thing where it's like, who's going to click on the checkbox this, this month, right? <laughs> and you click on it and boom, it just goes everywhere. And we just watch the install numbers at that point. So we like, like, you know, X number of people that have gotten like, like what the, the ramp is to, 
you know, within an hour, there's something like 15,000 installs that happen. And it just like, you just watch it take off like wildfire. So it's pretty cool in that we have this ability to sort of go to this web page and you click on a checkbox. And then worldwide, everybody will start to get, you know, the prompt to go and install and up, update to the tool. And quite honestly, if something happens, you can uncheck it and everyone will roll back to the, the version that they were on before. So sometimes we have to do that. We apologize profusely. When when they when you get the prompt to update, does it just update in app? Like you don't have to go download or anything. It just it so, just is an in place update. So what'll happen is if if you do a check for updates, it'll go and look and it'll pull right. it down. And the it it'll periodically check and it'll pull it down in the background. And then you get a prompt that says just restart. Uh -huh. And um, on the Mac, it just restarts. It just lays down the new app. On Windows, the setup is kicked off, and, but it's automated, so it just runs through. Right. Um, and just it's done. We don't have automated update on uh, Linux yet, but we are working furiously on that one. Um, so it's kind of in-app, mm -hmm. a little bit. Close, <laughs> as close as we can get it. Right. Just wondering, so do you, do you write Visual Studio Code now with Visual Studio Code? Oh, yeah, and it's all written in TypeScript. Um, it's complete dog food. I think the, the weirdest thing, though, it's because it's a small team, and we started out pretty small and grew rapidly. As you walk around campus, and some of you are in a conference room, and there, there's Visual Studio Code on the screen. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, hey, what? And you stop, you back up. Because for so many years, you're used to seeing everybody having Visual Studio up on the screen, right. whatever they're doing. And then you're like, what's that team doing? So there's a bunch of people internally that use it as well. But yeah, we definitely dog food the thing. And that's what the Insiders build. I, I, I mentioned this yesterday, that the Insiders build is literally the same one that we use. Right? And what's cool about it is because we use it, if there is some bad bug in there that, you know, if you're on insiders, you're going to be mm -hmm. completely blocked, we're going to be completely blocked too. Right. And so that thing is going to get fixed. Like the biggest problem with that is a time zone thing. Right? <laughs> half the guys are in, in Switzerland and the other half the guys are in Redmond. Uh -huh. um, so making sure like if something gets found, like it's, we're in the right place, we have to make a fix or roll something back. But that's the, that's the cool thing about it is it's literally the one that, that everybody uses. Um, I mean, you can go and you can you can clone the repo and you can run it locally and stuff. And in a lot of cases, you, ha you have to do that for whatever whatever it is you're building or debugging. But we all just use use the nightly build, and it's kind of it's just morning ritual, right? You come in and turn it on, you get the upgrade prompt. Two seconds later, you're you're good to go. And you just like find out what happened. <laughs> so, and that was the other exciting thing that I didn't really highlight yesterday was that. It's a nightly build that you pull down, right? And so what happened last night while we were sleeping? Um, <laughs> so I, I rolled a lot of dice yesterday, but uh, they, all, they all came up for me, whatever that number would have been. It's uh, sevens. I think, yeah. If you were rolling all the dice, it probably would have been like a 49, I think is what you would have arrived yeah, yeah, at. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we do dog food. I, oh, so back to the, the build process. So yeah, it all happens. It's all automated. It's all in... Um, in Visual Studio Online, um, and then we publish out to uh, Azure hosted CDN, which is where then all the, the bits are out in the wild. So it's pretty pretty cool, pretty quick. Automated signing processes for uh, Mac and Windows, which is a big thing like to get Microsoft into a place that it could sign Mac builds and stuff. And so we used to have to go ask the Office guys, because the Office guys had the Mac apps first. Right. I'm like, can you sign this, please? Oh, man. <laughs> the, the signing process for iOS and Mac apps, it's a holy pain. I've done it a couple of times. I'm like, how, how, how do I do this again? And yeah, 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 yeah. Sometimes we have some hiccups with it. Yeah. Um, 
And the Windows one's actually, you know, I haven't published easy. anything to Windows, so I don't know. Yeah, 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 and it's, it's that one was easy to easy going. And there's like a whole team and a whole service team. You just give them a folder and they kick it back to you. So it's good. We drove that whole process. We got that 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 sort of workflow down. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's there's not a lot to it, which is cool. Anyway. So so what do we see in uh, Visual Studio Code going forward? I guess if you plan and meet and plan the next month, we we may only know a month in advance, but. Um. Let's see. There's a few things that we're what that we're doing that I mean you, you can it, the roadmap and uh, the iteration plan I'm sure for the next month is actually up on uh, GitHub. Um, some of the big things that we're looking at are sort of the getting started experiences. So when you first sort of start up a tool, how are you going to be comfortable in in, in 30 seconds, right? Because I've I've got your attention for a very short amount of time, right. and by virtue of the fact that you're coming over to try out. VS Code means that six months from now you might go try something else, right? So I need to grab your attention very quickly. Um, and so there's a lot of things that we've been doing and that we'll continue to do around how you can sort of configure the tool to be yours right out of the box. Like we've got a couple of their extensions that we call them key map extensions. So a key map for Sublime key bindings, for example. And, um, and for Vim and Emacs, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I was going to say the the people for Vim and Emacs live or die by those. Yeah, the Vim one, uh, I don't know the state of the Emacs one off the top of my head. The Vim one, we actually put one of our guys on the public extension that was created outside the team for VS Code, and uh -huh. we dedicated a resource on the team to go and just work in that community and build that thing up. Um, and people, you know, we're, we're seeing the conversion. It's hard to move a Vim guy over, right, because there's so many little... Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, cool tricks that you can do there, and so um, black magic. Emacs is the same way. Yeah, it's just a lot more control key. Yep, yep. So we're starting to see that. So we, what we want to do is make it easy for you. Like, okay, yeah, I'm a Sublime guy or a Vim guy, or whatever. Mm -hmm. I, can, I can set that up. Um, let's see what else off the top of my head. We're doing some experiments around the the Explorer tree, so that you could contribute a different model to the Explorer in the canonical example. What, what do you mean? Uh, so, like, if I want to do any data access development, it's really hard if you can't look at your table. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, so being able to see the structure of, of something besides your file system. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to do, like, hey, I can contribute. Well, it's not, I mean, I shouldn't say it's easy to do. I didn't write it. So um, the model where you could contribute something to a tree is conceptually, like, yeah, I get that. What's really challenging, but it kind of goes back to the original question or set of questions, is how do you surface something like that in the tool in a lightweight way that people have complete control over. And it's not like, you know, you end up with the, you know, the 18 different tree tool windows that are mm -hmm. sitting there. You know, so you want to be able to, I think that's the biggest thing that we're, we're actually working on over the next month or two is how can we make that surface itself that's useful but not cluttering the entire environment. So while we're talking, I went to look up this Vim plugin and this is the, the problem I run into right away, right? So there's like 12 different plugins that are named Vim something. And so I'm like, how can I solve this problem for myself? And uh, like, there's not a date to know like when the project started or like when the last push was. And cause I'm looking, you know, I'm scrolling out, like I'll find the one that's edited most recently. And, and the count, I finally did see the count there too. But uh, you know, the count is sometimes a good indicator that it's, 
at least it's the popular one. It's a, yeah, it's not a necessarily first, that it's the best one. <laughs> it's the one that looks like I'll go start looking at that one. Yeah, but you can go and there's there's interesting things we do with the um, uh, when you when you look for an extension in the tool and you click on it, we'll actually show you sort of the README uh, for the extension in the tool, so you can see what's going on, like what it's going to contribute. But we also, there's a set of tabs in there. One second tab is like uh, contributions. So you can see what key bindings it installs, what languages it does. There's another tab in there, which is the change log. So if you follow the model in, in the readme, we'll actually show you that. So you can see the progression of how, how the, the tool is, or the extension is being developed and the, the time and date and how active and all that stuff is. And of course there's ratings that, that is, people can give. Is the change log, is it just pulling that from like all caps change log text file? Uh, or where is it trying to pull that from? Do you know? I think so. I don't know. Okay. I have to look it up. I haven't done it yet. That's the thing we have to do is it's so it's new, so all these extensions out there haven't done it yet. So we have to go and encourage that to to be done. But yeah, it's it's challenging, right? It's it's you know, there are a lot of extensions out there and, and we want to surface the, the, the key map ones um, a little bit more promptly uh, promptly. Prominently? Prominently, yes. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Um, in the tool. Uh, so yeah, so those are some things. So we talked about the contributing to uh, the Explorer and how we can make that more obvious or usable uh, to people. Uh, lots of API, um, continuing to evolve the API, both on that front. Um, uh, let's see, what else? I don't know, I can't think of any more off the top of my head. I've been doing demos for the past month. <laughs> <laughs> But you can go and look in the in the GitHub issue, and you'll you'll find the whole list there. Oh, so what I was talking about was um, there was this classification things, which was uh, um, making it easier sort of get started with the tool. Um, so it's that's sort of the area that we're focusing on on right now. So they'll be along those lines. It's funny you were uh, talking about you've been presenting for the last month, and I was like, yeah. So we're here with Keynote Chris. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to get back to my regularly scheduled job. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah, it's more fun. Well, we've had people walk by and look in the window a couple of times, so I'm going to start heading us toward wrapping up. But uh, if, you know, if people want to check out Visual Studio Code or get an idea, oh, hey, you know, this sounds really cool. I want to know a little bit more about what it's about or follow you on Twitter or anything like that, well, where do they go? Code.visualstudio.com. And we have the coolest Twitter handle ever, which is just at code so that's, that's oh nice oh yeah how'd yeah. you score that i can't i can't reveal them. <laughs> <laughs> it was available oh really yeah um so we're no assassination get... attempts or anything no none um so code.vigilstudio.com and twitter the the two best places um for just sort of broad information and then um GitHub.com slash Microsoft slash VS Code is the, the repo that we do all of the development. And in the wiki there, you'll find uh, links to the project because we do, like, you know, GitHub added the whole Kanban board thing recently, so we moved over to that so you can watch what's going on there. Um, we publish our, our backlog up there, and every week it gets updated sort of where we're at through the course of the milestone. Um, so those are the, the, the three best places to go and look. All right. Um, the way that we wrap the show up, you know this, we do picks. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and make AJ give us some picks, and then I'll do some picks, and then you can do some picks. Okay. 
All right, so because we were talking about Donovan earlier, I this may not be the exact quote, but it's it's probably as close as anybody has, except for somebody that recorded the audio and and has transcribed it since. But he said, I love the warm, fuzzy comfort of my IDE. I've got my swagger back. I'm gonna trust my instincts and right click again. <laughs> <laughs> so um is, is that Connect is published online already, right? Uh yes it is. Yeah, so I hopefully we can get the link. To, Donovan is funny. I love. We have amazing show notes, people. They will find the link. That's good. Yeah, because he Donovan's great, and I I love watching him speak and listening to what he says. Um, also, I'm gonna pick uh, my company Dapley. So we are on both WeFunder, which is a crowd equity site, and we have our Kickstarter up on Indiegogo. Um, our goal is to take back the internet. And what we're starting with is a home cloud system. So it's a complete system, not just storage, but also uh, other apps, having your own domain, um, music, media, that kind of thing. And if you believe in the vision of the company, you check us out and believe in the vision of the company, um, you can actually invest for as little as $100. And also, of course, we have our pre-order open, like I said, for cloud, our, our first product. So if you want to check us out, it's daplie.com, and you can see some of our, our videos and, and material there. Thanks. All right, I've got a couple of picks. Um, the first one, so I've, I've, I've mentioned this a few times now at, during this, but I hired a business coach. One of the things that she uh, went after me on was focus. And so I had to uninstall Facebook and Twitter off of my phone because it pops up and beeps at me and steals my focus. Well, one of the other things that uh, that she had me do was install this plugin. And as soon as I installed it, it, it was almost like a relief. Um, and it's a plugin for Chrome. And what it does is it blanks out your uh, feed, uh, whatever they call it, the main feed on Facebook. So it that shows you the random, you know, stuff that Facebook curates that list. Yeah, it makes that go away and puts a Buddhist quote in there or something about focus. Now, it only it only does it on that main feed. So if people are sending you messages through Facebook or if people are um, sending you friend requests or you're on a Facebook page or a Facebook group, all that stuff shows up fine. It's just that main section in the middle of Facebook that has random stuff and random ads in it. That goes away. The one where you go to Facebook to check a message and then you get distracted by the yes, BuzzFeed? Yes, that one. That, that's the very one. And that's the very reason. So yeah. uh, I don't remember what it's called, but uh, I will put a link to it in the show notes and uh, you can check it out. Um, I, I have various other plugins on Chrome that are pretty nice too. Uh, the other one that saves me some distraction is uh, Tab Wrangler. And what that is is if you leave a tab open for 10 minutes and you don't have it locked, tab locked, then it will close it for you. Oh, cool. And it's, it's real nice. So occasionally, like for example, um, I was doing one of the online conferences and I just read the speaker bios right off of the website for the conference. Um, I hadn't locked that and so it closed it right before I w went to read it. But for the most part, it's pretty convenient because then it's like, okay, which of these... 30 zillion things that I've looked at today do I actually need to be on? Nope. All of them? It's, it's closed all of them except for a handful, and that's because I haven't left, left, left them open for 10 minutes. <laughs> so, 
Um, I really, really like that. Um, and yeah, I think it's tab Wrangler, and then it has a tab corral, so you can mark them to lock them, and then you can also give it domain names and stuff, so it'll just, so for example, devchat.tv for me is tab locked, and that means that it won't auto-close anything off devchat.tv because I'm probably working on devchat.tv. So anyway, super nice stuff. And then I, I really do want to shout out about Visual Studio Code because it is a great coding experience. So, yeah. Uh, Chris, so, do, you, do you have some picks for us? So do my picks have to be... Like, Pick whatever you want. Whatever I want. TV shows, movies, music, code stuff, whatever. Right, I've got three. Three okay. picks. One of them is... Um, uh, I just got into smart things. Like the hub and the lights, the Philips Hue. Love that stuff. So now what happens at home is um, when the Seahawks game starts, my outdoor <laughs> lights, one turns green, one turns blue, and then at the end of the game, they go, they go back to you know, a soft white light. Nice. So much fun to do. And my wife is like, do we need this? Do we need it? It's like the whole premise is there is no need for any of this stuff, so you can't just pick one right. and say that one's not necessary. The entire thing is not necessary, mm -hmm. but it is so much fun. So that's number one. Um, number two is uh, my my pastime outside of work, which is um, making pizza. So wood-fire-pizza-oven.us. I just bought this pizza oven a couple of months ago. It's the greatest thing How big ever. is it? It's two feet by two and a half feet. Oh, that's not bad. No, it's portable, so it has a, a little cart that you can kind of wheel around. But it gets up to over 1,000 degrees, and it's completely wood-fired. There's no no, uh, no gas involved, or and, and, and it... It, it's just, it creates amazing Neapolitan-style pizza. I lived in Italy for two years. and oh, whereabouts? Uh, mostly in northern Italy, so around Florence and Venice. Mm -hmm. I lived in Verona for six months. Cool. Um, but yeah, that's how all of their pizza is. It's all cooked in a wood fire. I think you just spent a couple hundred dollars of my money. Because oh, yeah, my yeah, mouth yeah. is watering. It it's is, like it is, it's like I can't get pizza like that anywhere. It is amazing. I'll show you some pictures after this. Um, so that's that's the second one. The third pick that I have is I want to give a shout out to my buddy in marketing who couldn't be here with us today, but he was the guy behind the scenes, the whole event. So PJ Mar, guy's awesome. If you ever run into him, tell him he's awesome. Give him a big hug. He loves to be hugged. All right, I think I can do that. All right, cool. Thanks. That's All my right. picks. All right, well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up, but uh, thank you, Chris. All right, thank you. You are welcome. <laughs>